Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that allows us to be here. Thank you for that amazing gift through Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life and the death of a sinner and him defeating death and sin and raising on that third day. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy to give us the Holy Spirit, to teach us how to do your will. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. I pray that if someone does not know who Jesus is, today is the day that changes. That you would use the Holy Spirit to convince them and to open their hearts and their minds to what Jesus has done for them. It's a free gift. They didn't have to do anything. They don't deserve it, and they didn't earn it. But you, in your love and your mercy, gave us Jesus to pay it all. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be continuing our series in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen for you here in just a second. And um, if you would, I'm, I'm glad we uh, had a little less eventful Sunday than we had last Sunday. If you weren't here, we had us um, some gas get in the building um, somehow. And uh, we had to, uh, natural gas, um, let me be clear, <laughs> that could be bad. Um, we had some natural gas get in the building, and so we had to uh, we had to run away, and we went to Pigpen Restaurant. They opened up, and we did church at a barbecue restaurant, which was my first for that, and maybe yours too. Yeah, it was awesome. We had a good time. So we're back, and, uh, you know, explosion free this morning so which is good um so if you have if you have a copy of God's we're gonna be in Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 and Paul says this so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any parti- participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind and do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let us each let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Now here is the text that we'll be preaching today, that I'll be preaching today. Verse five. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you've ever been on vacation and it's just you and your family, it can be difficult to see the pictures because you end up getting left out of them, okay? Because, like, somebody's got to take the picture, okay? So it looks like some, some, uh, some things I've been on, it's like my wife and son went on vacation and I didn't go there. And then I, we switched, so now it's me and my son. And so then we went on vacation without my wife being there. Have you ever done that in the picture? And so inevitably, if you see, and it happened to me the other day, we went to the zoo yesterday, the Nashville Zoo, and there was this couple that was wanting a picture taken. 
uh, or that, that were that was they were there. It was two of them and their their child, and they said, "Would you take a picture of us?" I said, "Great, you actually wanted people to know you were here as a family, so it was perfect." So I grabbed the camera and I took the picture and I handed it back to them. And um, and and that's if you've ever been in that situation, you know that's difficult. So we have developed something, and you see it all around. We have developed the selfie, right? Okay? You ever done that before? And we talked about this this week. Last week, we looked at the first part of this passage. And what basically Paul is saying is because there's all this good stuff that can be tapped into, encouragement in Christ, love and affection that can be in the body of Christ in the church, being a, being a part of a church, there's so much goodness, a treasury of good things that you can tap into. And how, how do you do that? Well, you do this by having being in one mind— and not focusing on yourself, not looking out for your own interests only, but also for the interests of others. And so we talked about it this way. We live in a selfie culture. And if you got your phone out, besides sometimes when you open the camera app and it's like making you look like Jabba the Hutt, okay? Because it's like the underneath angle, okay? Most of the time, our cameras on our phone are pointed at us when we open them. And I challenged us to be this, to take that and to take the little, you know, the little camera with the arrows, and you press that button, and what happens? The camera goes from this way to outward facing. It goes from front facing to outward facing. And so that's what happens in the church. If you want to tap in to the encouragement and, and, those, and the affection and love and participation in the Spirit that's a part of being in the church, you have to put yourself on the back burner and put others at, out front to turn your camera around from front facing to outward facing. And now I want to tell you this, what Paul goes on and says is how do you do that? Well, you have the mind of Christ. And so what, when we're using the cell phone analogy, you know, there's these things called filters, have you ever seen a filter before? You have. If you don't, if you haven't, you're like, and some of you, you're just totally, totally lost. You can still get this, okay? But a filter can be something that, that it's like a, it's the lens by which it, it changes the color. For example, um, there is one filter that my, my son and I just found, and you, if you look at the camera, you become every one of the Teletubbies and the sun, okay? Do you remember the Teletubbies, these little creepy children's things? Hello! you. You're scary. Okay. I mean, if you've ever seen those. So Judson and I had a lot of fun one day sending people messages as us as Teletubbies. Okay. And the sun. We love. And like they all move and talk in unison. And that's a filter that's put over the lens and say, you can do a black and white filter. So what you see at that, when you look through the filter is you see the outward facing stuff, but the filter it, it, it changes the lens or the view of it. And so here's what I want you to see. Paul here is telling us to turn our cameras around from being forward-facing to outward-facing and then put the lens or the filter of Jesus and his cross as the way we look at life and look at other people. In other words, have, he says it in verse 5, and this is the command of this whole section, is have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ amongst yourself. Have the filter of Jesus as the way you look at other people and the world when you're in the church body. Have the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I want you to get this, okay? And this is what Paul is, is really talking about, and the, and the translation helps us see this. He wants us, it's right and natural, if you have been saved by Jesus, to look at the world through a Jesus lens now. What do you mean by that? Well, if you've been saved by Christ, 
then you are more likely to be merciful to other people. Do you know why? Because you have received mercy. If you have been saved by Jesus, you are more likely to turn the other cheek. Do you know why? Because Jesus did not revile when he was assaulted. What did he do? He bore it, and he did good to his enemies. Jesus loved his enemies to the point of death, and so because of that, we are gracious, merciful, loving people most of the time. Okay? That's not all the time, but you do view that, and if you may have had this before. I have this regularly. You're driving in a car, and I tell you, it's amazing how many dumb people there are in the world. Okay? I just want you to know that, especially when they're driving. Okay? Like stop signs. Everybody gets to a stop sign like nobody knows what's happening. What are we supposed to do? We've all stopped. It's like, did you not take? Ah! You get there first, you go. Have you ever tried to stand in a line with people, by the way? Nobody knows how to do it. It's like an amoeba. I don't know. Are you here? I don't know. Do we got a number? I just... Help me, Jesus, okay? When I wanted, after the decapitation feelings run up in me, just be honest, after the one to throw, hurl bricks at someone, what happens? The Spirit of God says, you're an idiot. I mean, it may not be that audible, but it's like, okay, where's your grace and mercy? Have you ever done anything dumb? Mm, he knows. And what do you need? This, the Spirit of God convicts you and points you back to living a life of Christ-likeness. And so what happens here is Paul's saying, because you are believers, it's natural that you have this mind amongst yourselves, amongst the group gathered, the Philippian church, that you would have this mind of Christ. And that this mind, he talks about in this, these preceding sections, which remember, I told you the book of Philippians is like, all, it's like playing the hits on the radio, okay? This is one of the, one of the passages that is a, one, one of the most preeminent biblical passages that you, that you may have heard or you might not have, but it's very, it's one of the greatest hits of the Bible. And so from this, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves. And then he says, that's yours in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us the example of, of what Christ did, and he talks about his humiliation and his exaltation, how he emptied himself, and now, now because he emptied himself and he died to the point of death on the cross, that now he's exalted, and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And what we have here, after he says, I want you to turn your camera around and look through everything with the, vil the filter or the mind of Jesus, I want to show you who Jesus is. And Paul kind of breaks into a song here. Because verses 6 through 11 are either... A, a hymn or a song that the early church sang, and it got put here, or Paul is composing, it has a lyrical quality to it, and he's composing poetry. And so he's saying this, have this mind amongst yourself that's in Christ, and then what does he do? He points to Jesus. And when he points to Jesus and he looks at Jesus, a worship happens that comes out in these, in these lyrical things. I was talking to the students about this when uh, at youth a couple of nights ago. Mitch and I were talking about it. It's a little bit weird when you, we get together and we sing if you don't know why we do it at church, okay? It's a little uncomfortable if you think about it because when do you go anywhere else and sing apart from the national anthem? And when the national anthem's happening at like a sporting event, you're not the one singing it. Someone else is usually, okay? You're kind of mumbling the words or, you know, and the rockets right there. I mean, you're like getting for that, but you're not really belting it out. But to go, like, you know how weird it is if you, like, showed up at the Rotary Club 
or we went to Trousdale County football game and everybody started going, oh, you know what? My girl, my girl, my girl, talking about, well, that would be weird, right? You imagine everybody's at the DMV? Yeah, okay. <laughs> black and black. I mean, everybody started singing ACDC or something because you're angry. That would just be terrible, right? It'd be weird. Like, can you imagine? You've seen yeah, it. Would be, wouldn't it not be weird? Walmart, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you would sing, okay. <laughs> you might, you might not want to know, okay. Might be like death metal, <laughs> okay. Or you know, now, 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 now. I mean, whatever, okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you know it's true. It's odd and awkward to sing in public, but we accept it at church, and here's why. It's because when you see God and you see through the truth of Scripture all who He is, it raises up the author of music, because God is the author of all good and perfect things come from the Father above, right? As, as being the author, He created us to worship in this way. So what happens when Paul looks at Jesus, he goes into worship mode. And so I want to encourage you to look as we do this, not just to see that this, how we should be, that we should have this mind of Christ in the church that, that sees everyone that doesn't look at ourselves but turns the camera outward facing is filtered by Jesus. I want us not to just look at, at this with saying that's how we ought to behave, but we also look and worship and realize that our hearts should be moved to the point of worship when we think about Jesus. And it might come out as song, but it might come out as just a prayer. It might come out as just speaking and proclaiming how good God has been, been for you. But here is the point. Paul, re, he goes to a place where he is talking, and it goes to a lyrical place of worship for him. And we know this to be true, right? Like, we sing things and say things that express emotions that words can't do. Have you ever thought about the Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton song, I Will Always Love You? Can you imagine if you just went up to somebody and said, I will always love you. I will always love you. Do you realize that's all it said in there? When Whitney Houston sings it, I'm not going to try. I know you were like, like oh, is he going to do it? No. She's belting it out. It's like, it's like just a few words, and she's just like, she's belting it out, and you get the emotion, the sense of that. The, the heightened language, it, it conveys emotion that, that it shows that you have been moved. And that is where Paul, he sees Jesus as a treasure to be worshipped, and it raises something up in his soul. And that's why he goes and gives them this example to 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 fan their soul's flame into a fire that they might live. So have this mind amongst yourselves. Look to Jesus and look to Jesus first to see his humility. Look to see his humility. Look in verse 6. Actually, we'll go back to verse 5. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to talk about the mind of Christ, what it's like. If we're supposed to have it, then you should look what his mind is like. And it says here, have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom, though he was in the form of God, did not 
account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, first off, I need to go ahead and just give you a little bit of warning. There have been a lot of ink spilled, and there's been a lot of people that have done some wonky things with this verse. I want you to notice something, that when, G, when, when the Bible says he was in the form of God, that means his essence and nature was God, that he was fully God. You know how I know that? Because if you just took it off that, the form of God, Emilio, you, could took the, you can take the form of anything. You've ever, been to, you've ever seen Halloween? We went out to the zoo. They had Star Wars Day at the zoo, which is weird because Star Wars and the zoo don't usually go together, but they had all these people dressed up like the Star Wars characters, okay? I don't know why that went with the zoo, but it did. Made my little boy happy. It was great. There was a 10 trillion people there. It was awesome. And so they're there. You can take the form of Kylo Ren or some of a stormtrooper or any of those, those particular people. And so we could think of, if we go with an English version of form, it can mean you could just, you're talking, he was disguised as God or that kind of stuff. But no, look what happens here when it says about Jesus. It says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, an equal sign. Jesus equals God. Now, there is some different, there's some difficulties or some, maybe difficulties is not the right word, but there can be some, some confusion relates to the Trinity, God, one God in three persons. And I want you to get this, okay, just that it's bare bones, you hear me. The Bible is clear about a few things. The person, God the Father, is God. All of the things that God has, God the Father has. Also, God the Son, Jesus, he's testified to have to be equal with God and to have all the things that God the Father has. Just look in the Bible. You see that. And also, we see that the Spirit is God and that he is equal and does all the things and has his essence, has the same essence as God the Father, okay? They're different in persons, and they act differently in different times, but they're one God in three persons. Now, can I explain all the ins and outs of that? No, but I can tell you the Bible teaches that. And so here's the thing. When he, took on, when he was at the form of God, it means that he was equal with God. And so this is talking about pre-incarnate, before, before the world. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were together. And they made a plan for redemption. This plan involved the sending of the Son. And in verse 6 we say, he was in the form of God, which means he was at nature and essence God. Jesus was God. But he did not count equality with God, which is true. He's always equal, a thing to be held on to tightly. And then it goes on, it says, verse 7, or grasp, as this translation would say. Verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you've lost it all? or at least you think you have, if there was something that would happen to you, God forbid, and like you lost your, like you had a Job situation, like you lost your family, you lost your job, you lost your house, you lost all your stuff, and you said, I am nothing. Would that change anything about your personhood that you would no longer be a human being? You'd still be a human. You would still, you'd miss me missing some stuff, but your essence would not change, right? So when Jesus says he emptied himself, he didn't lose his essence as God. He just came and he took on the form, the human form, which is the same word before. So at the very essence, Jesus, and this is a hard thing to get, Jesus was at his essence fully God and he never lost that and he also became fully man. And in doing so, when he came to the earth, he emptied himself, becoming nothing. 
which means that he didn't lose his essence as God, but he poured out everything he had. He was fully obedient. He fully loved. He was more human than the most human person who has ever existed. Yet he was fully God at the same time. But he left the treasures of heaven. He had all the equality with God and everybody seeing him and worshiping him. He had all of that. But he left that position to come to empty himself and to be born on earth. And I want you to think about this for a second. Oftentimes we think of God as way too small. God is of infinite intelligence. He spoke, and all of the complex things in the world came to be. Your circulatory system, which is a complex thing. Your brain, which is still not completely understood, with all of its electrical firing, electrical system just going on up here right now. As you're listening to me, there's electrical synapses firing right now. Your body is taking in outward stimuli and through your ears and your eyes and even your nose, depending on who's next to you, right? Okay. Um, and it's taking all the information and it's processing it. And right now, even as it's processing, your heart's beating. I went to the zoo. I, like I told you, there was a, there's a giraffe at the, there are several giraffes at the zoo. And one, and one, what happened is, I've never seen this live, okay, but the giraffe had to, it bent its legs out so that it could move its head down to eat grass. Now, a long time ago, I did some study about giraffes. Yes, I know that's weird, okay, but I did, all right? And so giraffes have this thing at the base of their skull. Their hearts are huge. And you know why their hearts are so big? It's got to pump a lot of blood, like up, okay? Gravity's still in play, folks, okay? And it's got to pump blood to the head. Now, if they did not have, they have this thing at the back of their skull. It's like a sponge that absorbs the blood when they bend over. If not, do you know what happened? Their heads would blow off. Infinite intelligence. This is who God was. Jesus being co-equal with God being in essence the same person, did not consider equality with God, to be worshipped, to, to, to live in heaven, surrounded by all the throngs of angels to be worshipped, did not consider that something to be held onto to the point of, of treasure. But what did he do? In submission to God, he came to the earth. And I want you to think about this, leaving the glories of heaven to go live in the slums of the earth with people who sin, to be born in a manger with animals, can you imagine the condescension that had to happen there? And he didn't hold on to his rights and prerogatives, but he came and emptied himself. And then it says this, not only did he empty himself, not of his person, but he emptied out all, he, he came and he condescended down to the lowly, to us, to be humans. It says in verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So not only did Jesus come from the glories of heaven, did he come down and be like us and how far that was, but then he came to perfect obedience to God the Father and in the, in the human form, and then from that he went on to die, even death on the cross, which was the most humiliating way to die ever conceived. In fact, to the Jews, it was very humiliating. Paul would talk about this chapter 3 verse 13 he said cursed is anyone who, who is hung on a tree and if you think about this one of some of our biggest fears 
Um, Jerry Seinfeld talked about this. <laughs> one of our biggest fears is, um, is public speaking. That's like number one. Number two is death, which he joked about. You'd rather be, given the eulogy, you'd rather be in the casket than given the eulogy, which is just kind of funny, you know? But if you think about this, do you ever have that dream where you show up at school or work and you are way underdressed, if not nude? You ever had that? It's a terrible feeling. You're like, maybe you're looking at me like, I've never had that. You've heard that people have had that before, and you're just trying to cover yourself the whole time, and you're trying to just, that, that embarrassing feeling. Well, think about this. When you were crucified, often you were stripped naked and put on that cross, and that cross was, for a Jew, to be hung on a tree was to be a curse, that God has cursed you with a, a, a bad way to die. But also for the Romans to be crucified was something, especially for the Philippian church. Remember, the church at Philippi was a Roman colony. And most of the people born there, if you were born in that colony, you were Roman citizens. And Roman citizens could not be crucified. It was thought to be too gruesome of a death for Roman citizens. So they got, if they had committed a crime, they would be decapitated. I know that sounds worse, but... It wasn't because it didn't last as long. It wasn't as humiliating. They didn't put your body up to be displayed like they did on the cross, naked and, and beaten, and you die of ex- exposure and of suffocation, and it would take three or four, five, even six days most of the time for you to die, and then they would leave your exposed body up there to rot, to show everybody you don't mess with the Romans. The, a, Roman, a Roman citizen would not have to have that because it was thought to be too low of a death. And so not only did Jesus leave, did not... Con- hold on or grasp his glory and equality with the Father of God or with God the Father as something to be held on to so tightly. But what did he do and to show his humility? He came and he humbled himself to become in the form of human beings, to be fully a person while fully God. And then he was obedient to God to the point of death, but not just a death, but a horrible, gruesome death. The worst death, the most embarrassing death, in which you were nailed to a piece of wood, mostly nude, and it was thought to be by both the Jews and the Romans to be a humiliating thing. Even, Paul would say, even death on a cross, this offensive, bloody death. And that is what Jesus has done. Jesus, basically, as we look to him, this one to be worshipped, he refused to act selfishly. And Paul had just mentioned in verses 3 or 4 of Philippians, just before this, he says, do nothing. He told the church, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And then have this mind of Christ, which will help you do that. Though he had all the glory, he did not grasp onto his privilege and rightful status. But what did he do? He came to earth, and he came down so far from how high he was. And not only that, he, not, just, not just humbling himself, but he emptied himself, and he died a death, a gruesome, horrible death on the cross, that we might have life. And I want you to see that. That is the that should shape our view of how we relate to other people in the church. See, Jesus was not thinking of himself on the cross, but he was thinking of others. He was thinking of the glory of God the Father, and he was thinking about the good of salvation that he would purchase. Like Jesus, 
This is what we must do. We must look at him and turn our camera from facing forward to facing out with this, with this gospel-centered, cross-centered, blood-stained view, filter of the world. And we have to refuse to act selfishly. Refuse to act selfishly. This is a constant daily thing because we all are selfish by nature. You want me to give you some examples? Let's start as kids. Do you have to teach kids how to say mine? They're like little golems. They figure it out. Mine, the precious, okay? You have to teach them how to share. We are by nature sinful. We are by nature selfish. It's no coincidence that our phones are usually facing forward. Because we think about ourselves. And most of the time when we get angry about something, you know why we get angry about it? It's because how it affects us. If you're married, you know. Selfishness is a part of it. And if you think the other person is the only selfish one, you're in real trouble. Let's be honest. You're in real trouble. Refusing to act selfishly is to look at Jesus who had all the prerogatives to stay in heaven in the glory of God, to let those people who had sinned against him to obliterate them and not provide salvation. He did not have to do it, but he did it for the glory of God and the good of others, and that is the greatest example of humiliation that could ever be. So we must try. We must say we refuse to live selfishly, even though it's going to be around every corner. We have to die to ourselves, and we must try to think and live with Christ's humility in the church, setting aside our rights, privileges, and honor for the sake of others. Let me say that again. Setting aside our rights, privileges and honor for the sake of other people. I went to O'Charlie's one time in Panama City, Florida, and the, our waiter, he found out that I was a pastor, okay? Um, I wore a big hat that said I'm a pastor. I'm kidding. I didn't do that, okay? Um, so I was there, and apparently in this guy's particular denomination, they treated pastors like kings, okay? And he would show up at the table and be like, he would, he would get refill my drink and not refill other people's drink. I felt like a jerk, okay? I was like, this is not how this is supposed to work. And so, in fact, it's kind of funny that there are some denominations that treat pastors that way because that is not how it should be done. In fact, here is, here, here's how I view, and some, guys, some godly men have helped me to see that the pastoral role is to be the lead servant and to call others to serve. I remember very, very regularly, or I remember very vividly seeing some of the guys, some of the pastors that mentored me. When we go, when we have a fellowship and go out, you know, when I say fellowship, you know what that means, like there's food, okay? That's usually what it means. So after church or whatever, there would be food. I got to see guys who would never get in the front of the line. I would always wait to the end. Would they make a big deal about it? No, because then they have their reward, right? Oh, look at how selfless I am waiting to everyone else eats. Just, just, just let me just tell you this. You don't need to be a martyr. This is free. If you're always like proclaiming how, how much you're struggling and you want to be the martyr, you don't need to. Jesus died already. You don't have to die on the cross. Get off of it. This is free. You just need to know that. And so, when we got when it, when I'd go to these when I'd go to these 
functions, and I would see these guys. They weren't drawing attention to themselves, but they'd wait. I also know, saw this, they would take out the garbage almost every time. And what did they do? They refused to let their position or their authority be something they wouldn't step down and, and, and give up for the sake of other people. Also here in the church, I'm going to just, just be honest with you. There might be a situation that arises, okay? We got a lot of stuff going on this summer. We're going to do vacation Bible school. We're going to do a lot of things. When we do vacation Bible school, there's a, like a, a bazillion kids that are in here and a bunch of adults, and we got a small place, okay? And we're all crammed in on top of each other, and there's going to be obviously a time where we get to like night two or night three when everybody's really tired and they want to hurt somebody, but you're not going to hurt a kid, so you might hurt an adult, okay? And you get to that place where you're talking to them, and they might say a, a, a sharp, biting comment to you, and then you want to hurt them, okay? I'm just saying this never happened before, but just hypothetically if this were the case, and then you were offended and they were really rude to you, you know what can happen? You could say, well, that was not right. I am offended and it is my privilege and my duty to be offended and let them know that they offended me. But that might be your honor and privilege. They might have been a jerk, they might have been out of line, but Christ died for sinners, enemies. So what is humility? Humility is laying down your right to be angry, your privilege, and lay it down. This is not a call not to deal with situations in interpersonal conflict, but this is a call for us to lay down our rights and privileges for the sake of the cross, because that's what Jesus did. I don't do that. That's just not what I, I don't take out of the garbage. I, I don't do that. That's, that's above me. Christ came and died a horrible, gruesome death. If we do that, if we think like that, then we are having the mind of Christ amongst ourselves. And the church will, the church will be evident. If we took that, it would be evident that the church is different than the world. Because the world's all about, I got to get mine. And, and the church is all about Christ gave, and we must have that, and we must live for others because he is our prime example. So look to Christ and worship. Look to Christ and refuse to act selfishly, but look to Christ and know that there is great gain that comes from obedience. There's great gain that comes from obedience. If you would look in verse after it says, let's go to verse 8, and it says, And being found in the, form, in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then, because he came to this point, it says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus. Remember, he came, and he condescended, and he was created, and he poured himself out on the cross. And then what happened? Therefore, through his obedience... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look to Jesus and see the outcome of obeying Jesus. Now let's be really clear. You're not saved by obedience. You're saved by grace through faith, but get this, saving faith works and is an obedience. And here's what I want you to get. You can leave a lot of God's blessings on the table if you're not obedient now. 
You can leave a lot of God's blessings on the table if you're not obedient now. Jesus, when he came, it was through his obedience and through this plan and through God's gracious word that he gave Jesus the name that's above every name through his obedience. And that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus humiliated himself to purchase salvation. In so doing, God's using that to exalt him. And I want you to get this, that this is not a if, this is a when. When Jesus comes again, every knee will bow, begrudgingly or in worship. Every knee, the highest name. And how did that come to be? Well, it came to be Jesus' obedience and Jesus' humiliation. And Jesus' death. And through that humiliation, what comes? Glory. I want you to get this. What he's telling this church is this. If you act humbly now, you are going to be tapping into the blessings of the church now while you wait for glory to come. What does that mean? I've talked, I mentioned this last week, and it resonated, so I want to mention it to you again. Have you ever been to a buffet? I was talking with, with, with Jimmy White, who's an accountant, and he does, I mean, he is calculating before he goes into a buffet if he's hungry enough to eat how much it costs, how much it worth to go to a buffet. Like, he's doing the math, which I thought, dude, that's awesome. I just kind of think in my mind if I got my money's worth, okay? And so when he goes in there, he's like, man, I'm not going to get any of the bread. That's cheap, Okay. That's like wheat and eggs, and that's a little bit. I'm not eating that. You know what I'm going for? Big ticket items. You better give me proteins, okay? He said he would go bacon, steak, pork chops, okay, you know, ribs, whatever. You can get your money's worth, right? And he got one green bean because you got to be healthy, right? <laughs> it's a salad, all right? I got a piece of lettuce. And so he'd go, and he would get all this, but he's trying to get his money worth. And why do you do that? I mean, it's, like a, it's like a psychosis with me. I'm like, I'm full, but I got to make sure I got my 12 bucks worth I'll have another piece of steak, okay? Why? Because you're so afraid of leaving something on the table. Or like your health savings account, which we mentioned last year, okay? At the end, if you know what a health savings account is, you're putting money in from your employer, it's tax-free, but at the end of the year, that money goes, okay, it goes away. So what do you do with that? You spend it. And you got, it's got to go away. So you're getting like glasses and a walker, and you're fine. You don't need a walker, but you're just going to have one because eventually you're going to need it, okay? You're getting braces for your legs. You're getting braces for your kids. They don't need braces. The dentist's like, no, but you're, like, yeah, you're getting braces because we got to use this money. Because the money goes, okay? You're afraid of leaving anything in the account, anything on the table. And what does Paul say in the first verse of Philippians chapter 2? He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and when he says if, he's meaning since. Since there's encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there's participation in the Spirit, since there's affection and sympathy, since when you're in a church that's following Christ and has the mind of Christ, at least is striving towards it, there is all this goodness, encouragement, love, participation in God's work through the Spirit. All of these things are available, and we will miss it. If we do not humble ourselves, we will miss the blessings of exaltation that come for us. God blesses us when we die to ourselves because it is his, it's his mode of operation. Through humility and dying to self, he brings goodness and glory. And we will leave a lot of stuff on the table if we continue to be selfish. 
Now, what I am not saying is that we don't have a spirit of unity here. I think we do. And what I'm not saying is that we do have a lot of people acting out of selfish ambition and conceit. That's not what I'm saying, but I want you to know it's around the corner. And it could come at any moment. And unless we are actively trying to look at life through the filter of, of a bloody cross and realizing that the one that to be worshipped and the one that whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess, that that one who deserved all the glory and honor and who has it, he did not consider it something to be held on to, but what? He left his prerogatives and his privileges of heaven and he humbled himself to the point of a cross. And he died, and that's the, we should refuse to act selfishly and fight selfishness in Jesus' name. And then knowing this, that God the Father gives gracious, the gracious gift of glory that we don't deserve through our humbling of ourselves. God works just like he did in, did in Jesus, that through Jesus' humiliation, he's the name above every name. And he brought goodness and glory. And I want you to say, the path, the path to glory is not through self-promotion. It's not through more Twitter followers or Instagram followers or more people following your Snapchat story or your Facebook page or your, your, your small business or whatever. The path to glory is not through self-exaltation. The path to glory is humility, submission to Jesus Christ, turning your camera from facing you to facing out and seeing everything through the red filter of a bloody cross and in so doing we might glorify the name that's above every name Jesus and spread it far and wide and that we might have a church that's full of power from the Holy Spirit because we seek to follow Jesus in every one of us there is something that needs to die to crucify our flesh, to refuse to walk in selfishness. And for those who are believers today, what is that area? Would you submit that to Jesus? We're going to have a moment, and Clint, Clint and the worship team are going to come up. And if, as they're doing that, I want you to think, believer, what is that thing that needs to die? What is that selfishness that needs to die, be put to death? And as we sing the song together in a moment, and as we pray, would you consecrate this time and say, God, here it is. This is what needs to die. Here's where I'm acting selfishly. Here's where I want to turn from that because I want to see your glory. Secondly, I just want you to know this. We just preached about Jesus. And there may be some of you, and we love this about our place and our church, okay, that people from the outside who don't know Jesus come in regularly. And here's what I want you to know. Did you hear what we talked about? That God would leave his riches in heaven and come and die on the cross and humble himself to the most humiliating death ever devised so that he might be raised, so that you might have hope, and so that in the name of Jesus, when he comes, you don't, have to bow in, you don't have to bow begrudgingly knowing that judgment's coming, but you could bow in reverence and know him and worship him. And you come to Jesus. Believe. Repent, which means to turn from your sins. It's all his finished work. Would you receive it by faith? Would you turn from your sins and trust Jesus and follow him? 
today. You don't, it doesn't have to be moving yourself positionally. But if you could just call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if that's you, I invite you, person who's just coming and, and, and checking it out, the unbeliever, I invite you to step into life through Jesus. When we think about the cross, it's worship because we think about the sacrifice paid and we glory in Jesus' shed blood. We also think about it has a cost for us. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Would you come to him, unbeliever? Will you trust him? He is so unbelievable. Believer, will you turn from your selfishness? Would you, would you give those things to him? Will you submit to him again? And would, you, would you do that? Would you come? And would you walk keeping your camera faced out with the, the filter of Jesus and the cross in front of you? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand for a minute. I'm going to pray. Clint's going to lead us. Clint and the ladies are going to lead us. Father, help us to see Christ. Lord, draw people to yourself. Lord, let there be some that be saved today. Let all of us come, all of us believers come in repentance, knowing that we have selfishness, but let us, by the power of the Spirit, refuse to be selfish and repent and resubmit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Um, finally, here's what I want us to, to end with, and these guys are going to play us out. You're dismissed after this, but these guys are going to play us out. If you would, stand for these, for these words of encouragement. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. Let's go. Turn your camera from facing in to out and look at life through the filter of the cross. Go in his peace. You guys play something. Yeah.